are Locked On Diamondbacks, your daily Arizona Diamondbacks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the Locks on Diamondbacks podcast. It's part of the Locks on Podcast Network, your team every day you're listening to. The always charismatic host of this podcast, Miller Thomas. I'm a multimedia journalist and I'm a graphic designer, so please go check out my website, millerthomas24.myportfolio.com. On there, you can see all my latest work from my packages to my articles to my photos and my graphic design. If you want to see more content by me, please follow me on Twitter, at creatorthomas24 for my personal account, or just look up Lockdown Diamondbacks on both Twitter and Instagram for the podcast handle. And of course, thank you for making Lockdown Diamondbacks your first listen every day. I would not be doing this podcast without you, the listener, sharing, subscribing, reviewing, doing all that so I could do this podcast for you. Thank you. It's free and available on all platforms. But what are we talking about on today's pod? Well, we finally got an MLB lockout update. So we're going to be talking about the latest update proposal from MLB to the MLB Players Association. And then I got five storylines that I'm keeping my eye on for the D-backs in 2022. I'm not even sure. I'm not even sure if it's the five most important or intriguing, but these are just honestly the five storylines that came to my head first when I was thinking about this exercise. Uh, you guys can give me some storylines you're watching if you want to tell me on Twitter or or wherever because I would be interested. I think I'm going to do a part two to this because I think there's definitely some other storylines that might be even more interesting or intriguing than the ones I've written down. But these were the first five that came to my head. So we'll talk about that and the proposal to the Players Association on today's pod. So let's get right into it. Daily Arizona Diamondbacks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Miller Thomas of Locked On Diamondbacks here, and let's get into MLB's proposal to the MLBPA today because I believe these two sides haven't talked for, I think, 43 days now. Spring training, I think catchers and pitchers report in like mid-February. We're like a few weeks away from spring training starting up. So these negotiations negotiations have to get started again because pretty soon we're going to run out of time. There's going to be nothing left to discuss. And this is going to have to unfortunately go into spring training. And it would be really unfortunate if this proceeded into the regular season and Things have to be pushed back, postponed. If we miss regular season games because of this lockout, it would be pretty disappointing. So let's talk about the proposal that MLB had today for the Players Association. There was basically three big pillars in today's proposal to the Players Association. And I could tell you, it does not sound good between the two sides. It does not sound like the MLBPA like today's proposal. It sounds like they're still very far off. So let's talk about those three pillars that were in today's proposal. Let's first start here. A different pay system for arbitration eligible players with more than two years of service, more than two years of major league service, but less than three years. 
So this would essentially eliminate the Super 2 players and instead use a formula, uh, a performance-based formula, to determine the salaries for players with two to three years of service. So what is a Super 2 player? And again, guys, if some of this jargon goes over your head, don't worry. I had to spend like two hours reading this today because some of it goes over my head, especially when you talk about this Super 2 stuff. It could get kind of confusing, but I think I do have a strong grasp of what this means now. So a Super 2 player is a guy who, when you look at the top 22% of players in that class who have the most service time, those guys are considered Super 2. Guys in their second year with the uh, the top 22% of players in their second year with the most service time, those guys are considered Super 2 players. The other 78%, regardless of performance, renew their salaries and their contracts just above the minimum salary while those super two players get an extra year of arbitration eligibility which they can negotiate their salary so for 22 percent of the players there will be no more super two players if this goes into effect and instead MLB, what they want to do they want to do a formula performance-based formula that will decide what a player should be paid in their year two and beyond as opposed to doing arbitration as the way it is now because right now i think the players like how it is more doing arbitration because it's more based off precedent and what other players who have performed similar to you what they're getting paid based off their stats so i think players would probably lean more into that because it's an argument and negotiation they can fight for themselves and pump up their value to their opposing teams through an arbitrator through this it's basically like one idea that was floated out is war Let's just pay players through arbitration or not even arbitration, but what their arbitration eligible years would be considered through war. Pay players based off what their war is. If it's a three war player, they get this much money. If it's a two war player, they get this much money. But the problem there is a stat like war, it varies across what different websites you use. So I don't think players want to go stat based because a stat can also not show the entire impact of what a player is worth. So I think this first thing, getting rid of the super twos and just going with a performance-based formula to determine salaries, I don't think that's going to work out. I think there's definitely something here that the players want to work on because, again, they don't like the arbitration system and going through six, seven years of that before they reach free agency. They want to get to free agency quicker. Still not sure. We'll see what the counter proposal is, but the idea of getting rid of super two players for a formula, I don't think it's going to work out. I don't think the players like it, and I'm not a huge fan of it either. So if, that's got, if that got a little confusing, that conversation, uh, hopefully you understood it. But I think it will get a lot easier, these next two pillars. I think that Super 2 thing was the most confusing. Remember, the top 22% of players in year two with the most service time, those are Super 2 players. The rest of the 78%, those are not Super 2 players. That top 22%, they get an extra year of arbitration eligibility where they can negotiate their salaries. That other 78% just barely gets above the minimum when they renegotiate. So that's the difference between those two set, you know, those two subgenres of year two players, the Super 2 and the not Super 2 players. So let's move on from there because that's a lot of jargon and it could get kind of confusing. It'll get a lot easier from here on out because the next one is if a draft pick does well, it can add some extra bonuses and incentives and incentives to your team. I really slurred my words there. But if a team has a top 100 prospect on its opening day roster, then the player, then if that player wins rookie of the year or finishes top three in MVP or Cy Young voting within his first three seasons in Major League Baseball, <clears throat> A draft pick 
can be awarded to that team. So basically, this will be to incentivize the stopping of service time manipulation. If teams just start this season, opening day, with their best players, specifically those young players, those rookies on their opening day roster, then all of a sudden, if that rookie goes on to win rookie of the year or an MVP or finishes, you know, just top five in MVP or Cy Young voting within his first three seasons now, as a franchise, you can be awarded an extra draft pick, a bonus draft pick. Now, the reverse side of this is a prospect cannot get a team more than one draft pick. So if your guy wins rookie of the year, you will be awarded one draft pick. But if that rookie then goes on to win MVP the next season, a la Dustin Pedroia or something, you're not getting another draft pick. A prospect can only get you one draft pick in his first three seasons. He cannot get you multiple. So that's probably, uh, that, that's a big, I don't even know where I was going with that. That's probably what, I don't even know. But a player cannot uh, a, a team cannot get multiple draft picks from one player. It's just not possible. But the thing with this that I don't like, this is probably where I was trying to go, is that the fact that it's baseball writers who handle the Hall of Fame and other voting instances having the power to decide which teams get picks because if they're deciding the awards, the MVPs, the Cy Youngs, and, and the Rookie of the Years, then they're also deciding which teams get draft picks in. Seeing the Hall of Fame ballots these last couple months, like these voters should not have any more power because they are already too drunk with power. Like when I see ballots with just Jeff Kent on the ballot or ballots with just like, I don't know, Gary Sheffield on the ballot, like, or if it's a blank ballot, like these baseball writers already have too much power. They already keep guys out the Hall of Fame who should be in there. They already have too much power. They already do players dirty. So I'm not a fan of these baseball writers having more power because they already abuse their power too much. So I don't think a draft pick going to a team just because they have a prospect that does well. Yeah, I'm all in favor of stopping the manipulation of service time. But I feel like there has to be a better way because I'm not a big fan of this. So let's move on to the third pillar, the final pillar in this, which is a draft lottery. The top three worst teams would be in the lottery. The Players Association wants eight, but the MLB, just the MLB, I guess, proposed a three-team lottery. A team wouldn't be able to stay in the lottery more than three consecutive years to curb tanking. And I'm not sure if the three teams in the lottery all have the same odds, but the way I would want to do it is because I actually don't mind the lottery, but the way I would do it is make it like the NBA, make it like the top three teams all have the worst odds and I'll probably do like eight teams in the lottery like the Players Association wants so I would do the top three teams all have the same odds for the worst record then you trickle down after that so maybe the top three teams all have a 15% chance at the number one pick then the fourth slot has like the 10% chance the fifth slot has like an 8% chance I think that would be a pretty good way to do it I do love the idea of not keeping a team in the lottery more than three years I think it should be like a team can spend more th than three years in the lottery. And if they get like a top five pick, you know, three consecutive years in that fourth year, even if they finish with a top five worst record, they can't get any higher than six. I think this would greatly curb the idea of tanking and make these teams spend more money in free agency. So I actually like this draft lottery. I think they just need to tweak it a little bit, but I actually like the idea of a draft lottery a lot like the NBA. There's still a couple more things both of these sides are fighting for. The MLB, Still wants 14 playoff teams. 
That's one of the biggest contentions in this. And on the reverse side, the Players Association desperately wants a luxury tax to be raised from $210 million to $245 million. And I don't mind seeing extra teams in the playoffs. I don't mind those teams getting extra money because the whole pushback against extra teams in the postseason is all about having a bad team in the postseason, a team that shouldn't be there, right? It's all about... Had that 88-win team make the postseason, they shouldn't be there after 162 games. That's pretty much the biggest pushback I hear against putting more teams in the MLB postseason. And I got to say, who really cares about that? Because the whole idea of 162 games determining the best team in baseball is baloney. Because we saw a 60-game season, and guess what? We were all okay with uh, a champion being crowned after 60 games. We didn't feel like anyone got robbed or no one was in the postseason that wasn't deserving. After 162 games, it's the same deal. The Braves were the worst team in the postseason this year. They won the World Series. The Royals went to the World Series a few years ago as an 89-win team, and the Nats won the World Series. The Nationals won the World Series as a wall card team as well. So the best team doesn't always win it in baseball. And, and also... I think you have to raise the floor, again, back to the luxury tax. I think you have to raise the floor because these owners need to stop being cheap. The value of franchises have basically tripled in the last 10 years, so these owners need to start spending money because they have the money to spend. And like we've seen, like I've talked about in my pod the last week, like trading your superstars doesn't work. It's really tough to rebuild. It's really tough to do what the Astros did where they tanked for a few years bottomed out and then got really then really hit on draft picks and rebuilt the whole thing like that's tough to do go ask the Detroit Tigers who blew it up after trading Justin Verlander a bunch of other dudes traded them all for prospects and none of those prospects have worked out and now they're just spending money in free agency to reboot the team look at the Marlins who traded Giancarlo Stanton Christian Yelich Marcelo Zuna those deals haven't worked out either so I think we need these teams to spend more money because the idea of rebuilding these GMs are terrible at in baseball. The idea of trading your superstar players, these teams are not getting back good packages. So let's make these guys spend money in free agency because that's their best. I think it's their best path to being relevant. Now, that was a very long segment, number one, but I think it was needed because of all the things in today's proposals to the MLB Players Association and those two sides haven't talked in a very long time. So I feel like segment number one needs to be kind of long today. But now we're going to talk about the five storylines I'm keeping my eye on in 2022. Maybe they're the most intriguing. Maybe they're just the five things that came to my head first when I was doing this exercise. But these are five storylines I'm watching in 2022. But before we get there, I need to tell you about Built Bar because this episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is so delicious. It's the new year, so that means New Year's resolutions. If yours is about getting fit or eating healthier, make sure you include Built Bar in your plan. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar, maybe even better than a candy bar. Built Bar makes it easier to stick to your resolution because it tastes so good and you'll want to eat it. Unlike those other protein bars, which can be chalky or waxy or taste like a chemical spill, Built Bar is healthy. It's covered in 100% real chocolate and it's low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber is great for that keto diet. Just go to Built.com, use promo code LOCK15 to get 15% off your first order. Promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at Built.com. Let's get back into the podcast and let's discuss the five storylines I'm keeping my eye on in 2022 for these Arizona Diamondbacks. And 
The first storyline I'm watching in 2022, can Dalton Varsho continue his second half breakout? This is something we talked a lot about on this podcast because, of course, Dalton Varsho, he was someone that was very tantalizing, a very hyped up prospect by D-backs Nation. And it was warranted because when you go and look at his minor league stats, like that dude was a 30-30 player as a catcher. You don't normally see that. Yeah, you might see a catcher with the 18 to 25 home runs. You might see that. Maybe you see a catcher with 10 stolen bases, something like that. But it's very rare you see a catcher with 30 home run potential and 30 stolen base potential, uh, even if it's in the minor league. So this is the guy who is super tantalizing, super hyped up, and he struggled when he first got to the D-backs. He struggled in 2020, and he struggled mightily in the first half of the 2021 season. But something clicked in the second half. I'm not entirely sure what clicked. Like, I'm not sure if he worked on his swing, if there was just a mental adjustment he made. I don't know what it was for Dalton Varsho, why he clicked in the second half, but he just did. Because when you look at his first half and second half numbers, I'm sure you guys have heard these before by me, but I'll say them again. In the first half, Dalton Varsho had a 143 average, a 464 OPS, played 35 games. He had one home run, one stolen base, 12 walks, 24 strikeouts. So double the strikeouts to walks. It was just a disgusting first half from Dalton Varsho. That was 35 games. But in the second half, he played 60 games. And what did he do? 290 average, 879 OPS, 10 home runs, five stolen bases. And he had 18 walks to 43 strikeouts which is still not great but his OBP went from 250 to 349 which is very impressive so this is someone that's going to be a huge swing player not just for the D-backs next season but maybe in the NL West because again the D-backs it's not that long ago that they were an 80 plus win team and they pretty much still have a lot of those pieces from that 2019 team that won 80 around 85 games on this 2022 squad so Dalton Varsho is going to be a huge swing player not just in the not just for the D-backs, but maybe in that wild card race as well, because he's someone that could be an everyday center fielder for the D-backs, maybe play right field, maybe play left field, also be a platoon guy for Dalton Varsho. And when you look at just the ceiling of a Varsho, or that's a platoon guy for Dalton Varsho, I meant platoon guy for Carson Kelly. And when you look at the ceiling of a Dalton Varsho, again, this is someone that could be that could lead the D-backs in home runs and stolen bases next season and maybe be the best defensive outfielder the D-backs have. He's super critical. He's super important. I'm very interested in how he develops next season. We have to see if the second half was a fluke or not because if he's 90% of what he was in the second half, 85% of what he was in the second half, that's a borderline all-star that the D-backs are adding to their lineup next season to pair with the Ketel Marte. Obviously, Eduardo Espar is no, not there anymore, so they still need to kind of replace that production, but Adalton Varsho can go a long way in filling in that void. Being an everyday outfielder would be huge for this D-backs team, so I'm very curious to see if that second half was real or not by Dalton Varsho in 2022. Next storyline I'm watching. Will David Peralta be on this team at the end of the season? Now, David Peralta is someone who's been on this D-back squad for a while. He's been in Arizona for eight years now, broken in 2014 at the age of 26. But Dalton, I think David Peralta is clearly in the decline at this point of his career. He's 33 years old, and he's just not been able to capture the same success he saw back in 2018 where he was a very good player he was a silver slugger had a 804 or excuse me at 868 OPS a 293 average and hit and smacked 
30 bombs. We have not seen that level of production from David Peralta since 2019, or excuse me, since 2018. He's still been productive since then. 2019 wasn't too bad. He only played 99 games because of injury. He had 12 home runs. He bagged 275, 804 OPS. So the numbers still weren't too bad for David Peralta, but that OPS went down even in 2019, that 804 OPS, it was still down from the 868 we saw in 2018. Then you go to 2020, of course, shortened season, 54 games, but the OPS went from 804 to 773, only five home runs in 54 games. And then you look at 2021, eight home runs in 150 games. OPS went down to 728. The dude is still a very good defensive player. The dude still has extra base hit power and gap power, but he does not have the over the fence power anymore. He's creeping up in age, and with this D-backs team that is overall pretty young, yeah, his veteran leadership would be nice, but considering David Peralta is on a pretty cheap contract, he's pretty solid with the runners in scoring position, he's a pretty good defensive outfielder, I think David Peralta at this point of his career is probably more value to a contender than the D-backs. I don't think he's offering us a ton of value in the lineup i think he's still a pretty good offensive player but I, he's definitely not some star so this is if this d-back season goes sideways if this d-back season is just on pace for you know 60 plus wins once again then i think maybe they decide to trade him at the deadline with only one year left on his contract just so he doesn't walk in free agency for nothing and maybe he wants to come back to the d-backs i don't know but i think it's probably just a smarter to i think it's probably just Wow, I can't talk. I think it's probably smarter to trade him at the deadline if the season isn't going anywhere. Now, if the D-backs are competitive and they're winning games and they're they're in the playoff mix, then maybe keep David Peralta around. But if this if this season is clearly not going anywhere, then I think trading a David Peralta could be a pretty smart option and probably the correct option. So he's someone I'm watching uh, with the whole season because what the D-backs do with David Peralta would at least be interesting to D-backs fans. I think around baseball wouldn't be that interesting, but at least to D-backs fans, it would be pretty interesting. And then I have three more headlines I want to talk about, three more storylines I want to talk about, but our back is against the wall with the time. So we're going to talk about BetOnline because today's episode is brought to you by BetOnline because BetOnline would like to wish you a happy new betting year as we continue our march to the playoffs and beyond. BetOnline remains the number one spot for all the best sports wagering action for 2022. New year and a new updated desktop and mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code LOCKDOWN to get started. From football, basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for 2022. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, all right, all right. We'll see if we could get through these last three storylines. Might have to save the last one for part two. So let's get into storyline number three that I'm keeping my eye on in 2022. And that is, will anyone from the Zach Greinke trade break out? Now, Josh Rojas, you can make an argument that he kind of had a breakout season last year. I don't think it was a full breakout season. I still think, I definitely think there could be another level to Josh Rojas. And if there's not, uh, I think the level he's at now would be kind of disappointing. I think he still needs to get 
better and improve for him to be a, a, a legit everyday major leaguer. Right now, he's a borderline everyday major leaguer. He's a solid baseball player, but to get to the next level, he has to be a little bit better and a little bit more consistent. So I don't think last year was a real breakout season for Josh Rojas. I think it was just a positive step in his development. But overall, when you look at that Zach Rinky trade, Josh Rojas was kind of the throw-in piece of the deal. And right now, He's the best major leaguer the D-backs got back from that deal, but that doesn't mean someone else from that trade could break out because you look at it, the D-backs did get back three of the top five prospects in the Astros organization at the time of making the deal, and that is Corbin Martin, J.B. Braskakis, and Seth Beer, and when you look at those three guys, all three of them are different kind of players. Corbin Martin more has a profile of a starting pitcher. David Braskakis seems more like a back-end reliever, and Seth Beer seems to be a potential power-hitting first baseman. So all three of them, I think they're going to get opportunity in 2022. I don't think it'll be major opportunity. I don't think we're going to come out of spring training with Corbin Marin as the number five starter or J.B. Braskakis as the setup man or Seth Beer as the starting first baseman. But by the end of the season... If you told me Corbin Martin's the number five starter, I wouldn't be surprised. If you told me by the end of the season, David Braskakis may be the go-to pitcher in high leverage moments, I wouldn't be surprised. Or if you told me at the end of the season, Seth Beer is the potential breakout candidate heading into the season after because he looks so good down the stretch in a D-backs uniform hitting bombs, I wouldn't be surprised with that either. I think Seth Beer has real potential as a power hitting first baseman. The dude has raked at every level he was even raking through those first couple games he played in last season so I think there's definitely offensive potential with Seth Beer even if he sucks defensively hopefully the universal DH comes back after this lockout Corbin Martin seems to have all the stuff he's coming back from uh an injury uh basically last season was his first full year back from Tommy John surgery I believe his stuff looked pretty good his numbers velocity that kind of stuff looked pretty good but his production was not very good, so hopefully he can take a step up. Same with J.B. Braskakis. He wasn't coming off uh, you know, surgery or anything like that, but he just struggled big time in 2021. His numbers were pretty disgusting as well. So hopefully those two, one, those two could break out or Seth Beer. So I'm just praying someone from the Zach Ranke trade could break out. And if it's a Josh Rojas, I'll be happy with that too because they have to decide that third base spot, I'm guessing Josh Rojas is going to be the third baseman right now just because there's really no one else that could play it for the D-backs that you would like at third base. And, of course, we still got a whole bunch of free agency left. There's still a whole bunch of options on the market. But right now, it feels like Josh Rojas would be the starting third baseman if the season started today. So he could still be in line for a breakout season. But considering they traded Zach Ranke, a guy they signed for over $200 million, in free agency and they traded that guy at maybe the peak of his power still in the last you know 10 of his prime if the four prospects they got back with three being top five in someone else's organization if none of those guys turn into a legit high level everyday starting major leaguer it'll be a disappointing trade for the d-back so they have to really keen keen in on developing those guys and hopefully one of them breaks out in the 2022 season and then the next storyline we could talk about because I don't think we'll get to three this segment. Will we see Alec Thomas get called up this season? Will we see Alec Thomas in a D-backs uniform this season? Because entering 2021, he was considered the 81st best prospect in Major League Baseball. Down from 
2020 Warriors considered the 49th best prospect in Major League Baseball, according to MLB.com. But this is someone that had a fantastic 2021 season. If you look at his numbers between AA and AAA, he batted 313 and 953 OPS. He had 18 home runs, 13 stolen bases. This guy can do everything for the D-backs. And right now, when you look at the outfield for the D-backs, like I was saying before, David Peralta potentially could be on the move. Dalton Varsho, I mean, who knows if the D-backs get wild, maybe they want to move Carson Kelly at the deadline or something or in the offseason and make Dalton Varsho the full-time catcher. I don't think that would happen, but the D-backs just have a gluttony of MLB outfielders, young MLB outfielders. Outside David Peralta, like I said, Varsho, uh, I guess you could put Paven Smith out there, Jake McCarthy, even Josh Rojas plays some corner outfield as two. I'm probably missing someone as well. So the outfield is pretty stacked for the D-backs already, but Alec Thomas, the quality of player he is, the talent and the ceiling he has, he might just push all those guys out the outfield outside of a Dalton Varsho and just honestly just steal a spot in one of those corner outfield spots because the talent this guy has, what he's been able to do on the minor league level already has been very impressive. Oh, also can't forget Stuart Fairchild, who is also pretty young as well. So Alec Thomas seems like a guy who could be maybe a 15 home run 25 stolen base kind of guy that can hit for a high average doesn't seem like superstar is written in Alec Thomas's future but could he be a borderline all-star player maybe I think it'd just be a very good everyday major leaguer uh and above average everyday major leaguer I don't want it to seem like I'm pessimistic on Alec Thomas I think he's very good I think it could be a, a very high level player for the D-back so what he does in the minor leagues at the start of 2022 will decide if the D-backs bring him up or not and also what the D-backs do in the first half of 2022 will decide if they call him up or not because if Alec Thomas is on fire to start the year and the D-backs are struggling they might be looking to add some extra juice to their lineup to you know just get a little spark maybe middle of the season to see if it could turn the season around just to evaluate one of their young players that's been in their system for a while so Alec Thomas is gonna be one of those guys that I keep an eye on because I don't think we're gonna see like a Corbin Carroll or anything like that I think he still probably has another at least another season before he gets a call up to the major league so Alec Thomas is probably the most major league ready guy that we have that could be a day one contributor to this D-backs team so I'm very curious to see if we see him called up in 2022 and if he can have an impact like a Dalton Varsho in the second half of the season. Now that's it for this edition of the Lockdown Dimebacks podcast. It was a longer podcast than normal. Hopefully the MLB proposal didn't get too confusing or you didn't get lost, you know, hearing me talk about it because I was getting kind of lost reading it before doing this podcast, but I think I have a pretty good grasp and understanding of it now. Hopefully I was able to uh, eloquently Uh, explain what the proposal was today because, you know, I'm trying to do my best to be a podcast host and explain things to you because that is my job. And I want you guys to come to me when it comes to this kind of stuff. Hopefully uh, I can stay on top of it for the future because I love doing this podcast and I love talking Diamondbacks for you guys. It's been a really fun time. So thank you for making Lockdown Diamondbacks your first listen every day because I would not be doing this podcast without you. So if you have any storylines you're watching for the 2022 season, or if you felt like I did a good job, you know, explaining the proposal, you can just let me know on Twitter at creator Thomas 24 for my personal account, or look up lockdown diamondbacks on both Twitter and Instagram for the podcast handle. Go make your second listen of the day. Lockdown bets with your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling. If you want to put some extra money in your pocket. And of course, as always, stay safe and stay healthy. Deuces.